much. It's always great to uh, be here at Casey City Church and what a fantastic piece of news we've had this morning. Boy, I just dream about $1.5 million. <laughs> that's a, that's a marvellous um, gift from the government and um, uh, a huge responsibility for you guys and a wonderful opportunity for taking being the church uh, out there, which is one of my passions is that it's really wonderful to be together and we shouldn't neglect the coming together of the, of the church. It's really important. It's really important to praise God and worship him uh, with the enthusiasm that you guys do. That's really wonderful. But, uh, but when it all comes down to it, we're here to be the church in the world, right? We're, we're here to make a difference where we are. Um, have you noticed uh, that um, the challenge of Scripture is to be Christ in every place where God puts us? We're to be Jesus right there. And how many of you know that Jesus said, I have not come to judge the world? So we... we if we're being Christ in the world, we're not here to judge the world, right? We're not here to criticise. We're not here to make, make uh, assessments on people's lifestyles or people's beliefs or people's attitudes. We are here to love them in Jesus' name. And I, I suspect I've been a pastor for a long, long time and I, I suspect the churches have not been particularly good at that. Now, now I'm not criticising the church, but I, I, I want to say we are very good at raising our voices in judgement and in criticism and in assessing people's lives. But when I think about the way Jesus acted in the world, when I see him loving the person who was taken in adultery, when I see him loving the tax gatherers, when I see him connecting with, with, with uh, Zacchaeus, I realise that he was right. He, he didn't come to judge the world. <laughs> the, the only people that he seemed to judge were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? the religious people. And he had reason for that because they were not they were not living to the glory of God. So that was one of the motivations for um, writing this particular book, which is called Confronting Conflict, and uh, deals with, with what causes conflict between Christians and how that plays its way out in our individual lives, in our relational lives, and also in the life of, of, of churches. And uh, if you've been around churches for a while, you will know that we are no strangers to conflict. We can, we can create conflict out of almost anything. And, you know, I'm not talking about differences. We should have differences. It's appropriate that so many people from so many different backgrounds will have differences where we, we see things differently. But the, 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 the wonderful thing about being in Christ is that we should be able to deal with those with love and acceptance and understanding 
and without it dividing us. But the history of the church, pretty much since the, old, the New Testament prophets all died and went to heaven, the history of the church has been a history of conflict. The denomination, denominations around the world, thousands and thousands of different denominations uh, in the Christian faith, most of them were born out of conflict. And I think we have to stand back and say, why is this? Why is this? So I've tried to explore in this book um, why conflict begins, both in relational conflict and personal conflict. I've, I've sought to, to think through some of the ways in which we can address conflict creatively. And also the second half of the book, it's divided into two parts. The second part is about future-proofing your church against conflict. Um, now, of course, I hope pastors read it, but, but I hope church members read it because we all are together part of the church and we all part of, play a part in that. Now, that's out there on the table and if you want to um, take one, you're you're welcome to it. Um, it does cost $25, but um, that's only so I can pay for my next book, <laughs> um, which I'm writing on the church, um, and I'm writing to young people. I, I know it's a bit, it's a stretching a point, isn't it, at 82 to be writing to young people. But, but you know, I find as I go from church to church, I have a closer connection to the vision and the view that I see in young people than I do in my own age group. I want you to know that. I believe that we have to leave behind us, those of us who are older, we have to leave behind us a church that has permission to listen to God through the ears of that generation, not our generation. Not us telling them what always must happen, but them being given permission. Listen to God and then do what God says because you're going to be the church in a... Oh, I was going to use a word I, I promised myself I would never use. Um, we're going to, you're going to be the church in unprecedented times. <laughs> and... Uh, do you know, I just read a statistic the other day about the numbers of people who are leaving the church in America and if it continues on for the next 10 years at that rate, there will not be viable churches uh, apart from the, the handful of mega churches. There will not be a viable church and that's a challenge, isn't it? That's a challenge, and we've got to uh, start thinking about that as soon as we can. There are, by the way, out on the table, my other three books as well. Um, I retired uh, a few, four years ago and, uh, and decided I should do something, so I set my aim to publish a book a year, and uh, I've done that in four years, and there's one on the way for next year as well. So um, 
One of the books out there is a devotional book. It's called Encounter. If you don't have a devotional book and you'd like to have a reading and, uh, and some thoughts every day, then uh, there's a book out there called Encounter, which is a devotional book. There's a book out there called, called um, The Guilt Busters, which is about child sexual abuse. If you or someone you know um, has, uh, is a, a, a child sexual abuse survivor and you want to help them um, break through the, the burden they carry and the pain they carry, then uh, this is a good book to give to them. And then the, the, first, the, the other book was the first one I wrote, and that was actually an allegory uh, that explores anger and fear. And uh, it's like a C.S. Lewis-type allegory. And um, uh, they're there if you want them. The last two are $20, and uh, the devotional book in this one are 25 I want to read to you today, um, I realise we, what time do we have to finish? We'd... Oh, oh, well, that's not too bad. I'll be finished before then. Um, Galatians chapter 5, uh, all very well known to all of us. It, it's the passage where Paul is speaking about uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit. And um, I, wa- I want to preach on the fruit of the Spirit in a quite a different way than you've probably ever heard before. I'm going to involve you this morning in thinking through some of the fruit of the Spirit and how they apply to, to your life. I want to say at the beginning that it is important, isn't it, to know that God the Creator, God the Father, is, is the God who is above us. He is all-powerful, almighty, all-loving, all-forgiving, all-knowing. He is the God who is above us. And in Jesus, who came to earth, the Son of God, and took on the form of man as he did, it was God with us, okay? And God for us. Wasn't it, wasn't it a different God? It is the same God who is above us, was the God in Jesus who was for us. And then when Jesus ascended into heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit to live forever in in the life of the believer, it was God in us. Okay? So we have a God who is above us. We have a and he has declared it through his creation. He has declared it through his sovereignty. He's declared it through his power. We have a God who is for us, who declared it by taking on human form and dying on a cross for our sin. And we have God in us through the Holy Spirit. And it is the God in us that takes us out into the world to live the gospel. My grandfather was a keen Christian. And as a boy and a teenager, I wasn't, but... But he was, and, and uh, he wrote an autograph in my autograph book when I was a little boy. You know how it went? It said this. He said, you are writing a gospel, a chapter each day by the things that you do and the things that you say. Folks, hear what you say and see what you do. Say, 
what is the gospel according to you? And, and you know, that, that has come to me afresh recently. What is the gospel according to me? As I go out into the world and people read me and people see me and people see the things I do and hear the attitudes that I express, I am, I am being the only gospel that most people will read, that many people will read. They won't read this yet, but they'll read us. Understand that? And so the God within us enables us to be his gospel. Is good news in the world. Let me read to you from chapter 5 of verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures idolatry, sorcery, but here is a few others that he puts in as well, hostility, quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division and envy. He goes back to the wild uh, extroverted sins of drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living like that, that sort of life, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control there is no law against these things i have a question that i want you just to ponder as we go through if we are christians and the holy spirit dwells in us and is reproducing in us the life of christ does bearing the fruit of the spirit come automatically or is it the result or are the those behaviours the result of a choice. That's what I want you to ponder. Because we are fond, fond of saying, I've heard preachers say this, and I've probably said it myself uh, at some point in my journey, that you plant an apple tree, and because it's an apple tree, it will produce apples, okay? Not lemons, not oranges, but apples. So therefore, if we're indwelt with the Spirit... The, the illustration goes, we will bear the, the fruit of the Spirit because we are spiritual and there's nothing we can do about that. We will just bear that. So that's one argument. The other argument is 
that unless I actually choose to act in a loving manner, I may not act in a loving manner. In fact, no choice to act in a loving manner will probably mean that I act the opposite way. So I just want you to keep that in mind and we'll come back to the question when we finish up uh, today. We're going to put uh, the fruit of the spirit up on the screen and uh, thank you. Oh, it's up there already. Oh, I was looking at myself down here. Oh, there it was. I was waiting for it to come up on that, so I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> reminded me of something I read on Facebook about this lady was writing. She's an old lady and she was writing, something terrible has happened. Someone shifted into my house and every time I go to look in the mirror, she stands in front of me. <laughs> That's what I was thinking when I was looking at the screen. Some old bloke has just got there in front of me yeah. So here are the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. I want you to pick one of those that, that you think you're doing pretty good at. Or you can pick two or you can pick nine if you like. That you're satisfied that, that the joy you feel when you're in the with the people of God is the same joy you feel when you get up at six o'clock tomorrow morning uh, to go to work at a place you don't like working at. <laughs> or the love that you feel here with all these people who believe the same thing as you do and they, you like them uh, and they like you. <laughs> do you have the same love when you're with people you don't like? People who drive you crazy? Or... Or people you love and you live with. Okay. I always remind myself that that when we got married, Julia just didn't get this guy she fell in love with. She got a bloke with smelly feet. <laughs> I'm making this up, but you know what I mean? when we accept somebody and we love somebody deeply, there are issues that challenge our love activity toward them. And we can get irritable or angry or, or short-tempered about toward the people we love the most. So I just want you to think about one or, or more of these that you think you're doing well at. And then I want you to think of one or more of the ones that you're not doing so well at at the moment. And I want to talk about why that might be the case. I wonder why when we know so much about God and we know so much about his love and we know how much he's loved us and forgiven us, that there are times in our life when... when we don't choose love, but we choose something else. Okay, that, that's, that is a question, isn't it? It's a really important question. There's got to be a reason. Well, there are a couple of reasons. One of them is what Paul has talked about already. He's talked about this, um, this sinful nature. 
And uh, we do still have to deal with the cravings of the sinful nature, the, what, the, what the sinful nature desires. Sometimes it desires that I justify myself and sometimes it desires that people don't walk over me and sometimes it desires that I get my own back and sometimes it desires not to forgive. And, and so that's one of the reasons. But the other reason is that God has made us wonderfully made us we're wonderfully created and, and we have a brain and that brain has two primary functions one function is to think so our brain enables us to be to have cognitive powers so we can think through issues we can take stuff on board we can remember stuff and and uh, unless you're 80, um, and, and then <laughs> brain doesn't function quite as well. But, um, yeah, understand what I mean. It, there's, a, there's a cognitive aspect to your brain. But there is another part of your brain, and that enables you to, to feel. That, that is the emotional centre of your brain. So if you were to walk out of here today and walk to the car park... Um, and you came face to face with a man-eating tiger. They're quite prevalent around Casey at this time of the year. And you, you would like to think, we'll say, say it's a lion. You would like to think you would stroke the lion on the nose and say, nice pussy, I'm a friend of Daniel's. <laughs> but the chances are you wouldn't do that. The chances are that this little amygdala in your brain would pour adrenaline into your system at such a high rate that you would cover the distance between the lion and the front door faster than Superman ever dreamt of. <laughs> because that's the whole purpose of the amygdala is when you are in danger, when you sense threat or danger, then this locks down your thinking processes and opens up your emotional response processes, right? So you respond out of your emotions and you save your life. The same thing happens, unfortunately, when somebody upsets you and your brain reads that as a threat to your safety or your security or your sexuality or whatever it might be. And your brain goes into gear and says you're in danger. And it starts to lock down your logical way of thinking and it switches on these emotions. And when you start yelling or you start acting angrily or you refuse to give pe forgive people who've hurt you, what you're doing is you're acting out of this emotional response. Do you understand that? Now... Just because we become Christians, that the amygdala doesn't disappear. And, and, and it's good that it doesn't because it's there to save your life. But what the sinful nature does with the amygdala is that it, it, it centres on self-protection and self-safety, self-security self-centeredness 
it's, that's what the, the sin nature focuses on. And the Holy Spirit comes into our life and what he wants to do is he wants to, to in some way, um, compete with the power of the sin nature over your emotions, right? He wants you to give him greater control of your emotional center in your life. Now, all the fruit of the Spirit are subject to emotional responses, if you think about them. Love, well, you think, if, if you're thinking of an opposite of love, you're going to think hatred. But in the Bible, the opposite to love is anger. Isn't that interesting? Perfect love casts out anger. And fear, right? The two, fear produces anger. And don't be angry, but love. The whole theme of the scripture comes like that. Joy. You, we can lose our joy so easily because we give in to our emotions. We feel like we've been unjustly treated. We think, feel like um, other people are getting a better end of the stick than we are. And, and on that basis, we focus on that we focus on the sadness we feel about that, the anger we feel about that, and the joy disappears. It's the same with peace. You know, the peace we're talking about here is not the sort of peace we feel at church. It's not the sort of peace you might feel in the bush or on the, on the, on the water. It, it's the, the peace you feel in the time of tumult. It's the peace we learned about when Jesus calmed the storm. It's the peace that came uh, to the person who was demon-possessed and God and Jesus released him. That sort of peace, the peace that you feel when you shouldn't feel peace. I'm just reading a lovely little book. It's just a tiny book by a, a man uh, who has um, gone to heaven a long time ago now but he was a great Bible teacher and he wrestled all his, uh, most of his life with nervous disorders, anxiety disorders. And what God set him on was a journey to find serenity. And he learned that serenity is not about um, um, finding a place to hide from the world. It was about finding serenity in the midst of of tumor, and it's a great, a great breed. And then, then patience. You know, uh, sometimes we actually pray, "God, give me patience." Have you ever prayed that? And and then He answers your prayer and sends somebody that dri drives you crazy. That's how He teaches us patience. That's right. And Julie was praying that, and then I came along. Yeah. And she's really learning. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then there's kindness. You know, kindness is not dropping a dollar bill in a beggar's tin. Kindness is the way we see the world. Kindness is the way we evaluate the value of people. Kindness is about seeing the broken as, as 
valuable as, as the, the whole. You understand? Kindness is something deeper. And, and it can be affected by our emotions. We were talking to uh, a lady yesterday, a dear friend of ours, a member of our family, really, and, and she was born in, uh, in an Eastern European country right at the end of the war. And then the Russians occupied that country for a number of years. And she said she came, her family had to flee from that country to Africa and then finally to Australia. And she's now 80 years of age. And, and she understands that the, the anger and the hurt of what the Russians did to them is still part of her life. She's learned to deal with it, but it's still whenever she hears of what's going on in the world today, it does the same thing to her as it used to. And, and that's not to be surprised at, is it? When you've suffered what they suffered, when you've seen people dragged out of their houses by soldiers who occupy your country and killed in the main street, you don't ever really get those scenes out of your head. But when those emotions take over, then kindness disappears. We can't be kind and ruled by painful emotion. And then, of course, there's the others, faithfulness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. For, for the want of time, we, we'll just leave those, but it's all the same thing. They are always affected by emotional response. I wonder if we could put the second slide up on the screen. Thank you. Here is something I want you to remember, and if you want to write it down, feel free to write it down. Between the stimulus and the reaction, there is a space. And in that space lies the freedom and the power to choose. And in that choice lies the possibility of happiness and peace. Now, what does that mean? It means that whenever you are tempted to be angry or unkind or ungenerous or, or un, uncontrolled, whenever you are tempted between yielding, between the stimuli, the thing that has got you there, and the reaction, there is a space. And in that space, there is the God-given gift of making a choice. Now, for some of us, we've allowed the space to get pretty small. You know, there's a, we, in, in worldly vernacular, we call, it, um, we call it a short fuse. But what it really is, is we've, it's a short space. And, you know, we count to ten and then we kick him. You know, know what I mean? One, two, three. By the time I'm four, I'm really mad. By the time I get ten, I'm really going to give it to him. Um, but there is a science in that because the longer you can stretch that space out, 
the, the less adrenaline is going to impact your life. So the space is important. God gives us a space. You know, I learned to use this space because I, by nature, I was a very, very angry young man and I became a pastor and, and I needed to deal with that. And, and one of the ways I used to do that is whenever anybody was mad at me in the church, I, I learned that my main and primary task at that moment was to listen, not respond. So without understanding what I'm teaching now, I was creating a space. And then I learned that if, if I listened, really listened, and just asked some questions to make sure I was really understanding what the person meant, by that time I had control of my emotions. And what I would often do is then say, I need to go away and think about what you've said because what you've said is obviously really important to you. What say we meet on Tuesday and have a coffee and, uh, and we'll talk about my response to that. And I needed to do that because I know that if I respond without the space, I'm going to hurt people. Like some of you have. And like you've been hurt when other people haven't used the space. And what's the choice? The choice is to, to give the Holy Spirit control over our emotion. Just as simple as that. Just as simple as that. You don't want to get angry any more than, than I would want to get angry, but, but if you give way to your emotion, you will get angry. Or you will get fearful or anxious. But if you give yourself space, you will find in that space the God-given power to choose. And you can make that choice. Do you know what God needs in the world today? Choice-making Christians. Christians who, who are making choices to allow the Holy Spirit to take control of their emotions and, and to channel those emotions into behaviours that mirror Christ, that reflect Jesus, which is just the very reason we are, we are here. I want to say to all of you, older and younger, that we don't have any choice in regard to how long we are on earth and we don't always have a lot of choice about the people that we find ourselves um, relating to, but, but we do have a choice about how we do that. Is that, is that okay? You, you understand that? It's, um, and, and the scripture is very clear about this because before it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he talks about walking in the Spirit, right? Now, you don't walk unless you choose to walk, right? You stay still until you decide it's time to take a step. And you've decided that before you take the step. And it's the same in walking in the spirit. You have to decide every day that, that in this particular situation and circumstance, when it would be easy not to reflect Jesus, I am deciding that today I will.
I will. James um, is my is the book that that I think should become the journal, uh, the 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 textbook for every Christian, the book of James. You, know, you should read it regularly. We all should read it regularly because because he talks about being swift to hear and slow to speak, but he says all these marvelous things about uh, about not talking but listening because you don't show a great deal of emotion when you listen but you can show a lot when you're talking and you're not going to wish you could take your hearing back but you often wish you could take your words back right and uh and so what he's telling us i I found a verse in proverbs that said listen just zip up your mouth and listen (laughs) it was a modern translation but it made a lot of sense. So that's really what I come to talk to you about. And uh, I, I just encourage you and challenge you that not to just think, well, I'm a Christian, so now I'm free to act any way I like. No, 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 no. You will not display the fruit of the Spirit without a choice to do it, okay? You have been freed by God to make a choice and empowered to make those choices. You make, and you need to make healthy choices about yourself, about the way you care for yourself. You need to make healthy choices about when you need to be assertive. You don't have to be unkind to be assertive. You have to make healthy church responses about how to deal with difficult people. And remember, God is the only one who is able to judge whether that choice has been made in the spirit or in the flesh. Why don't we pray together? Father, I just want to thank you for these dear people and thank you for the opportunity we've had together today just to explore something that is very, very practical but very, very important. And Lord, we know that we'll only be away from here a short time and one, we're going to have to make one of these choices. But Lord, when we remember how much you loved us, then we, we know that what we want to do is to reflect that love to the world. And if choosing to walk in the Spirit, if choosing to put our emotions under the Spirit's control, is the way we're going to do it, then Lord, help us to do that. Give us the heart to do that. And Lord, when we fail, give us the spirit that can bring us back to you and say, God, I didn't do it right this time. Give me the strength to do it right next time. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want just one little word. Don't go home and kick yourself every time you don't do this, okay? (laughs) That's the last thing God wants you to do. Mm. What God wants for you and us, all of us, is that we grow. 
that we get better at it as time goes on. It's like, it's like when you were riding a bike. You learned to ride a bike. You fell off a number of times. But now you could get on a bike, even though you haven't been on one for 20 years, and you could ride. So life is like riding a bike. And we get on and we fall off. And God picks us up. And God says, I just love you for trying. And I'll give you the strength to keep doing it. Okay? He loves you. Amen. Amen.